wisdom, diligence, and grace to do that work. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Whew, what a day, huh? Lots going on. Um, graduations, new members, cohort. Uh, I got to be part of that cohort for basically the whole time. Just missed a few sessions. And it was, for me as a pastor, it was like a dream come true to just be able to have that focus time to really have uh, deep conversations like, like that. So really grateful, grateful to Pastor Paul really being the dean and, and helping to make it happen. And then uh, I'm going to preach for a little bit, and then we're going to have uh, recognition of three new elders. So it just keeps going. And then we're going to have a picnic afterwards, so praying that the sun will come out. I was just looking at the weather app. It might be coming out. The good thing about where we're going is that there's a likelihood, more likelihood that it'll be out there. So um, very, very, very much full heart today as we think about all these things and the way that God's moving in this community. What a blessing. And uh, isn't it good to be coming out of COVID and just seeing all the movement and, and just the way that God's working? Very encouraging to me. Sunday is a day uh, for the Lord, so it's appropriate for us to come together like this and really focus on the Lord. It's a day for each other, and that's what we get to celebrate today in this sort of special family time as we go have a picnic as well. And Sunday is a day of rest, and these things, you know, worshiping God and being together, these are, these are restful things that are, are healthy, restful things. A lot of times when we try to rest, we do things that aren't so healthy, and so, uh, so this is a healthy way for us to rest, and for you to rest, I want you to rest today. Just take a deep breath, enjoy a moment thinking about God and His goodness and His mercy and His grace on you and on the people around you. We're going to talk today uh, in the time that we have about togetherness. This is the first in our summer Psalms series. Uh, so we're kicking that off today. And we're kicking it off with Psalm 133, which is perfect because we have 13 new members and three new elders. So Psalm 133, because we do it all by numerology here. Uh, and so that works. So would you open up to Psalm 133? Uh, and I'm going to read this, and um, this says, it says at the beginning of the psalm, Psalm 133, a song of ascents. Now what is that? What is, it, what is a song of ascents? Well, a song of ascents is for when people go up to Jerusalem to celebrate the various festivals and opportunities that they celebrate there up in Jerusalem. And so that's why you go up to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem's on a mountain, so you always go up. So song of ascents is as you go up, to be together with your brothers and sisters and to celebrate and to enjoy God together, just like we're trying to do on every Sunday. Um, it's a song of ascent. Um, and it's of David, of course, so we know King David wrote this. And I'm struck by how much of a poet David is in this particular psalm in many places. There's some unique things in this one that really jump out to us. It says this, uh, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down. Aaron's the high priest running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion where the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. So God, would you help us to open up this passage in a way that will remind us of your goodness and your grace and, and, and your beauty. 
that will knit us together as a family of God and that will propel us forward into this next season with the right posture and attitude towards you and towards each other and towards the mission you have for us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you today to enjoy the grace of unity. Enjoy the grace of unity. Unity uh, is an atmospheric blessing. We're going to talk about that. I'll explain what I mean. Kind of a strange way to say it. And unity is a gift from heaven. Unity is a gift from heaven. So we're going to talk about uh, both of those. So let's talk about the unity being an atmospheric blessing. Now, um, to kind of go backwards here a little bit, go deeper in, uh, the Hebrew word for unity uh, in, in this passage is yachad. It means to be joined together. Very simple. It means to be joined together. And if you glance through the Old Testament and you look at the different uses of the word, um, just to kind of shortcut it here, you get a definition of, of this kind, something like this. Unity is when people are in the same place with the same values, the same vision, and the same affection for one another. So there's a sense of love that's very much wrapped in to unity. So in they're, they're in the same place with the same values, the same vision, and the same affection for one another. And in the Bible, there's a kind of a tension around the extent to which we can expect to achieve unity. Ephesians 2, 13 through 14 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's already happened. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So there's a sense in which our oneness is already secured in Jesus Christ. It's already established. It is. It's a fact of the community of faith. We are one because of the work that Jesus has done on the cross to break down any dividing wall of hostility that would keep us apart. We are one already. But then you look at John 17, 11, uh, and, and Jesus says this. This is his high priestly prayer. So he's, you know, this is the last big prayer. He's praying for his disciples. He says, and I am no longer in the world, but they, his disciples, and then he'll be praying for us, are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father, Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. He uses the, the, the language, may be one, uh, two more times in the next couple of verses. So there's this sense in which we are already one, but as Jesus prays, there's more for us to live into. We haven't fully uh, embraced the oneness that we already have. We have the gift, but we haven't received it. We haven't opened it. We're becoming one. So we are one, and we're becoming one. We have a kind of positional oneness already, and at the same time, there's a progressive oneness that is being developed among us by God as he moves in our midst. And this is a tension that scholars call the already not yet. We see it all throughout the scriptures, that the kingdom of God is already here, 
but yet it's not yet, it's, it's not yet in its fullness. We're, so it's already here, but not in its, its fullness. And so we live in that tension. We live in the meantime. That's what this season is until Christ returns. It's the meantime. The meantime, in the middle, we're living in the middle where these two things are coming together, but they're not fully, the, the, the kingdom of heaven is not fully realized in our presence. And there are other examples of how this works itself out. So you've already been declared righteous. This is forensic, as scholars will say, justification. You are already righteous. And yet we are growing into our righteousness via the process of sanctification. So we've been justified, but we are being sanctified. So we see this throughout, and this is sort of a similar kind of a thing. We, we see this throughout the scripture, that unity is like that. It is, and it is becoming. And all institutions within the, the framework of, of the faith, all institutions, uh, families, organizations, churches, um, live in this kind of tension between the already and the not yet, um, us included. And we sort of need to call this out, that we're on this crazy, wild journey that oftentimes is messy and confusing uh, as we try to live into what God has already called us to become. Uh, we're, 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 we are one, and we're not yet one. We experience the glory of oneness and the agony of division. It's just an inescapable part of life. And I, for one, can have a hard time coming to terms with that. Maybe you can too. When you look at your environments, Christian environments, families, and you feel like there ought to be a perfect oneness here, but there isn't. This is the reality of living in the meantime. And it's especially hard when we, when we know that our unity is what Jesus says will uh, be a cornerstone of our witness. Fran Francis Schaeffer called Christian unity our final apologetic to the world. It's our oneness that suggests to the world, right, uh, that Jesus has been sent into the world to bring salvation. Well, when I'm frustrated with that, I, the lack of unity, uh, I console myself at times and think about all those who've gone before and their struggles with unity. So you think about King David and all the different fractured relationships there. And I think especially of his relationship with his son who wanted to take over the kingdom. And there was this deep fracture that was uh, present in, in that relationship. And of course the ramifications of that were massive. Um, so King David and Absalom in the Old Testament. When I think of the New Testament, I think of Paul and Barnabas who had a sharp conflict over one of uh, the, the disciples, John Mark. And they, they, they had to separate and go different ways. I'm so thankful that that story is there. I mean, if it really happened, I'm so glad that it was put in there. And it did really happen. I'm so glad it's there because it, it helps me when I'm struggling and when we're struggling to have the kind of unity that we know is possible, that we know God intends for us. This is just the reality. Even Jesus had relational friction. Now, the difference is that it wasn't his fault because he's perfect. But even so, doesn't that communicate something? That there was friction there around the person of Jesus Christ. This is the reality of living in the meantime. And I was listening to, somebody sent me a, 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 a video of Tim Keller um, reflecting on John Stott, who was a great theologian and scholar. And, 
in United Kingdom and, and Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I, I, I kind of had heard something else I didn't realize, but they had a big falling out. Martin Lloyd-Jones and John Stott had a falling out. Those of you who know those names, you, you may be, may, that may be a surprise to you. Um, it, it just So you go through the church, you go through the New Testament, you go through the Old Testament. This is the reality of it. And so when we experience it, you know, yes, we lament it, but maybe we're not so surprised about it. And this is why this passage is, is so important to us. We're forever pursuing unity, never fully arriving on this side of heaven, but we still give it our all. This is the journey of faith. So many things in the walk of faith and the journey of faith, we're still giving it our all, even though we haven't arrived yet. We're still going after it. All right. But this passage, so that's a little bit of a definition. So I wanted to share like a definition of unity and the reality of unity in the current season that we're living in. You know, some things that we can expect, some, some, some things that we know are going to be true. But really to dig into what this psalm is saying, the message of this psalm kind of goes in a different direction. Um, it's not so much concerned about defining unity as it is about showing us what a blessing unity is. That's what this psalm is about. It's about showing us what a blessing unity is. We can talk about unity all day, but the true blessing comes when we experience it, right? When you experience, I want you to think for a moment, what, when have you experienced a group of people who had that kind of that definition, they were aligned in their values, in their, in their vision, in their presence with one another, they were moving in the same direction, and they had that affection for one another. When have you experienced that kind of unity? And, and, and I want you to think about the, the sense, the atmospheric sense that that had, that it came with. Unity is an atmospheric blessing. It's a blessing of a sweet smell or a cool morning. The oil running down Aaron's beard, you know... Um, probably would have been made from the recipe that we have back in Exodus 30, 23. And of course, these days you can go on Etsy and type in Exodus 30, 23 oil, and there will be people who are making it. And so I bought some this week, and we're going to pass out the oil that probably would have been dripping down Aaron's. This is the recipe so I want you to take a smell as I'm talking about this and then pass it. I think we're going to pass it forward and backward. So you can give directions as you do that. Everybody, there's lots of time. You'll be able to smell the oil. I even brought the, the elements that they sent with it that tell you how to make it. So some of you who are really crafty and you want to make this oil, um, feel free to talk to me afterwards. Now for us, an oily head like we see here in... Psalm 133 suggests somebody who hasn't taken a shower in a long time, right? Or maybe you went to In-N-Out and it was just a rough time with the french fries and you've got lots of oil and grease all over you, right? So we don't think about an oily head in the same way that they thought about it at this time. For um, the past peoples, many past peoples, oil was essentially the opposite of that. Oil was like putting on your best, you put on the oil on your head when you were putting on your best. Now imagine, I would imagine that the world didn't smell back then like it often smells to us, which is fairly fresh, right? 
Uh, and so a, 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 an odorific oil which would cover over the smells would be a blessing. And when people wanted to put on their best, they would put on an oil that would cover over those smells. And, and you knew when you smelled the smell of the oil that something special was going to happen. People, this was an important moment. But not only is the oil representative of bringing your best, dressing up in a sense, it also in the testimony of Scripture represents the presence of the Holy Spirit. When David was anointed, it says, the Spirit came mightily upon him and was with him for the rest of his reign. So, so the Messiah literally means the anointed one. So the one who's been anointed has been empowered with the Holy Spirit over and over again in the Old Testament. This is the symbol of the anointing of oil. The oil is a tangible metaphor that suggests the way in which the Holy Spirit moves in the world. And when you get to Psalm 133, then you see that the oil has this unifying effect. Think of 1 Corinthians 12. So when we get back to 1 Corinthians, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 12. Most of you have heard of that passage. If you haven't heard of that passage, it's a passage where it talks about the church being the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. And then all the other parts are the body of Christ. The different people in the church are members. And we're all one body, the body of Christ. And so hold that image in your head. Uh, and now think about Psalm 133, um, which talks about, you know, the, the Aaron and the oil dripping down. Here the oil drips down from the head and then it goes across his beard and then into his garments, which would have been these robes that would have been wearing. And as the robes get soaked with oil, because there's such an abundance of this glorious oil, which is also metaphorically connected to the Holy Spirit, there's this beautiful oil and it drips down in abundance and, and, the, and the clothing, you know how when clothing gets oily or wet, it starts to stick to you. And so his robes are wrapping tight around him as he is being doused in this oil. And the fragrant smell is overwhelming because there's so much of it and it's filling the room. It's atmospheric and it's beautiful and it's good. And likely what David is trying to say also in this psalm is to suggest the way that the oil as the Holy Spirit links together the parts of the body and the clothing of Aaron which had tremendous significance is all melded together into one through the oil which connects them and links them together. And so the Holy Spirit brings a sense of oneness into the presence of Aaron as he's there being anointed and his robes are being soaked. Unity is an atmospheric blessing. You, when it happens, you just say, ah, this is good. I remember so many times as a family where we would be at each other and it, just, it, it can just strike you at the deepest place when there's conflict and there's lack of unity. And then when unity emerges again, it, it just, it's like you could just take a deep breath. You say, ah, oh, I could sit here forever, right? Unity is an atmospheric blessing. Unity is like the dew in the morning. Again, 
think atmospheric. Mount Hermon was the highest mountain, and then Zion was lower than that. That's where the temple was, and the dew comes down on the land, and it spreads all the way across all of these, and it's, it brings blessing. I grew up in First, in the eastern part of San Diego, away from the ocean, where it could get very hot. It would be uh, many times over 100 degrees. And so I grew up as a kid just experiencing this ferocious heat. And I can remember at times getting up early in the morning, and there would be a dew on everything, and it would be cool. And it would be such a respite from this oppressive heat that we had been during, enduring day in and day out. And maybe you've gone to a place, traveled to a place where it's tremendously hot uh, day and day, and you get up early one morning and you just sit in the blessing of the coolness and the dew, and it's atmospheric and it's peaceful and it's restful. And David is recalling, he's saying, the unity is a blessing that is like that. It is good amidst the oppressive heat of the world. Unity is a cool morning dew where you want to just linger and be in its presence. The point is this. God wants you to fall in love with unity. He wants you to understand how good it is. He wants you to fall in love with unity, to associate it with the highest and the very best moments of life. So that, because he knows that if you fall in love with unity, you will pursue it, right? If you understand what a good and deep and rich blessing it is, you will pursue it. And that's what God wants. So, how do you do that? How do you pursue unity? Unity is a gift from heaven. It turns out that unity is presented in this psalm as more of something you receive than that you engineer. This is a really important point. Now, there will probably be other places in Scripture where we could go. We talked about our contribution. But in this psalm, the emphasis on the fact that ultimately unity is something that you receive. It's a, it's a blessing that comes down from heaven. It's not, it's not two gripping hands trying to make it happen. It's two open hands receiving from God. That's what unity is like. As I said, Psalm 133 is very poetic. There's a play on word here. So yahad means unity. Yarad in Hebrew means to come down or to descend. And three times David uses that word yarad, which is to come down, descend, which brings about the yahad, which is the unity that is such an incredible blessing. So whenever it says running down, that's your rod, running down, and then fall. Unfortunately, in English, it's two different words, but it's the same word in Hebrew. Running down, running down, fall. That's your rod. And it all is in the service of yahad, which is unity. Yahad, unity, comes by your rod. It descends from heaven. That's what the psalmist is saying. I think of the feeding of the 5,000 was kind of a good analogy for this. Jesus said to the disciples, when all these people are sitting there and they didn't have something, he said, you give them something to eat. And, and they said, we don't have anything to give to them. And he knew that. 
Jesus knew that. They legitimately didn't have the resources to feed these 5,000. Um, Jesus asked them to gather what they did have and just to start serving. And then he provided what was lacking. And when we think about unity, that's the amazing thing. That's the amazing blessing. That's the gift of unity is it comes from above. It's not something that we fabricate or manufacture. The disciples brought their two loaves and fishes and Jesus brought hundreds, maybe thousands, to be able to feed all those people. And that's the equation that we have with unity. We bring what we can, but we receive so much from God. God is the one who makes it happen. We cannot make ourselves one by our own efforts. God has made us one through Christ. But like all blessings, we have to receive it. It's two, it's two open hands. Unity is two open hands to receive from God. John 17, 20. I do not ask, Jesus says, for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. So God, in the triune God, there is unity, and it's out of that that our unity becomes possible. That's the image, the, the glory of unity that we're seeking after. I and them and you and me, he goes on to say, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. So as we finish up, what does it look like to receive unity and I, I wish we had more time to really unpack this, but let me just make a few quick comments and then we're going to bring up our elders and recognize them. First comment is this, trust that it is there. This might seem like a small thing, but it's massive. If you know, we, we have unity in Christ, that's huge. We're not trying to create something ex nihilo out of nothing. It's already there because of Christ. We don't See, that changes the equation. We're just trying to uncover something that already exists when we try to become one. That's a much easier task than creating it out of nothing. Like the loaves and fishes, right? We just, we just bring our two and God takes care of the heavy lifting. He takes care of the bulk of the issue. Um, Jesus models for us, number two, that we would pray for it to be made manifest. The unity is already there. We are one already. But as we pray and ask God to move in our midst, that unity becomes manifest in the world. And that's a blessing for us. It's like the oil coming down Aaron's head. It's like the dew on the hot morning, a morning, cool morning of a hot day. It's like the, it, it's all of that. It's a blessing. Um, but but we, we ask God to make it a reality. We pray that it would be manifest, not just for us, the blessing, but also because, as Jesus says, this is how the world knows about God. So we pray. That's what it means to receive the blessing of unity. We trust that it's already there. We pray that it would be made manifest in tangible ways in the world right now so that people would know who God is, and so that we would experience the blessing. And then, third small suggestion, we wait patiently for it to emerge. 
One of our biggest challenges when it comes to unity is patience and self-control. Anybody feel that? One of our biggest challenges when it comes to unity is patience and self-control. When unity is threatened, we want to jump in and fix it in our own strength. Right? That's just how as human beings we function. Again, we're thinking of it, this unity is something you, you engineer, you grip, and you make happen. But no, unity is something you receive. If you're in a receiving posture, it's much easier to be patient and to wait. To wait for God to work. To wait for God to move the pieces on the chessboard so that unity becomes possible. Right? You wait, patient, for God to bring it forward. Rather than seizing in the flesh and trying to engineer something in your own strength. Now, this doesn't mean that you be passive, um, but it does mean you're not being proactive in your own flesh. It means you're being spiritually proactive. Proactive in the spirit. You're praying that God would bring it about. You're thinking, you're leaning, you're reading, you're studying, you're waiting, maybe in times you're fasting, that God would cause the unity that's already there to emerge in this relationship. That takes patience. That takes a spiritual approach and not a fleshly approach. This psalm is saying that with Christ, unity doesn't have to be as elusive as it sometimes seems. Fall in love with it, that's your job. Put it on the highest pedestal. Recognize what a blessing it is. And then position yourself to receive it from above. And we hope and we pray that this will be our way as, as members um, and as, as deacons in the church and as we talk about elders, that we would be in love with unity in this way. We'd be realistic but we'd also be heavenly minded. So with that, we are going to bring up our uh, elders and do some recognizing here. Um, so I'm going to invite uh, John for you to come up right now and our three new elders and our current elders, all of you, to come up to the front right now. Um,